On today's episode of The Good Word, Jake Fisher joins us to discuss Joel Embiid going under the knife and what that means for the 76ers. Zach Levine going under the knife and what that means for the Chicago Bulls. And every trade rumor we've heard with the trade deadline looming. All that and much more on today's episode of The Good Word. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois. Good Word with Goodwill on Yahoo Sports. Ball don't lie. And here is Vince Goodwill. Welcome to the Good Word. My name is Vincent Goodwill, senior NBA reporter for Yahoo Sports and host of this podcast. We are part of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Get us wherever you get your podcast. We are also on YouTube. And if you can see us on YouTube, you see the face of the person next to me. It is my esteemed colleague here at Yahoo Sports, fellow senior NBA reporter, the People's Insider, and the co-host <laughs> of No Cap Room right here on Ball Don't Lie, Jake Fisher. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we're going to, you know, I felt like there was no better person to have on during trade deadline week, which is basically the week that everybody decides to pull their hair out and to use these goopy trade machines and we fi- find out about protections and all these other things, right? All right, cool. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's an honor to be here being that I will never, it seems, get an invite to Divine Intervention. So it's I'm happy to play guest on another show on the Ball Don't Lie podcast. <laughs> well, you do a show with Divine Intervention. You it just, just don't feels do it only on right. Divine Intervention. It just feels right. Like, I am basically the host there. You should just home and home. It's like a common courtesy. I don't know. I'm just going to keep complaining about it until it happens. And that's really that. I'm sure he. I'm sure he's taking your suggestions under advisement. And I'm sure John Gennaro has passed along to him that he does not need to do that at <laughs> all. Right. But Jake, even before the trade deadline stuff, all the big news that has come out over the past, maybe since you know, the end of last week about Joel Embiid. We saw the fall against Golden State. Uh, turns out left meniscus injury. He's going to undergo a procedure. Sounds a lot like surgery oh, yeah. <laughs> on, on his left meniscus. Before, Jake, we were talking about Joel Embiid. Could he, should he be still eligible to win MVP because he's having a great season? He is destroying teams when he's playing. And then the Jokic thing happened, and then this happened, both of those games on national TV. So an inordinate amount of attention placed on him. But practically, 
A, what does this do for Joel and B long term? Because this is yet another knee surgery for him. And B, how does this alter Philadelphia's approach at the trade deadline? Well, I think let's talk about the trade deadline first, being yep. that I think it'll answer the long term because the Sixers so far, the messaging out of Philadelphia has been that they're going to wait for the immediate aftermath, see how the surgery went. You know, the whole talk of we're not exactly sure what the injury looks like until we get under the knife and get in there and look up close and personal with the ligaments and the tissues and all that stuff to kind of make like a true evaluation of what the recovery is going to be. So that could just be spin and he could be out for the year and they're just delaying the inevitable. But I'm taking them at their word for now. I just think that generally indicates that the Sixers and as people there were telling me from the get-go of this injury, the Sixers definitely are still hoping and operating with the guiding light that they're going to be contending for a title behind Joel Embiid this year, that they're addressing this injury now. And, you know, this is typically something that I think Philly in the past has given Joel two, three weeks to rehab and evaluate before going under the knife. Like, they're going to it immediately. They're not wasting any time like the Lakers did with Gabe Vincent back in the fall. You know, they they wasted like three, four weeks of trying to, in hindsight, you know, hindsight being 2020, they wasted like three, four weeks to figure out what Gabe Vincent's knee would look like before he ended up undergoing arthroscopic surgery on his meniscus late in December that ended up being an eight to 10 week recovery period. So they're clearly like trying to do this with the goal of keeping him in line for a playoff run. So all that being said, I'm not so certain that Philly's going to be like going out and adding like big game pieces to that contending roster that they have right now. Just that it's going to be hard to see and evaluate those guys without Embiid being there. If they end up doing something like Marcus Morris is expiring salary or Robert Covington's expiring salary, combining those expiring salaries for somebody who's like more of like a fifth man to that lineup, I wouldn't be surprised. But I do think this injury kind of throws into question like the idea of them going out and going big game hunting and making a move for one of the top players on the board. Well, it's a weird thing that Philly's in because, hey, let's let's just look at the facts of right now the fifth in the East. and. If you fancy yourself as a title contender, you A, you have to stay out of the play-in, and B, you probably want to stay away from Boston. Right now, they would be on the line if they make it to the second round because they would be matched up with the Knicks right now. That'd be, that would be the 4-5. That would be the Jake Fisher, Dan <laughs> Devine uh, first-round matchup because those guys, they live in New York. But that would well, be the Philly matchup New in the York first round. Philly-New York would really be my matchup because I'm, yes. I'm from Philly, live here. That'd be, that'd be quite a time. Yes, that, that that would be the Amtrak series. Yes. That would definitely be the Amtrak train series, be hopping on that train and not on a plane, which is actually not, <laughs> not a bad experience. But no, definitely not. If you're Philly, you want to stay out of the play. And I, I think the only team that they would be worried about, if you're worried about Joel Embiid's long-term health and if you can hold your water until then, would probably be the Miami Heat who sit at eight. But that's a five-game difference. The Heat have been in a tailspin, lost to the Clippers last night. They look they look reasonably better with Terry Rozier, but they don't look complete. They don't look whole, and maybe maybe this just isn't their year, so you don't have any more than a natural fear of them. I thought that they were in a tricky spot because of Tobias Harris's contract, and he may walk, 
and Philly because of, you know, sec- a second apron tax world that we are operating in. Now, you have to be very careful about just trading your expiring salary for someone else's longer term salary and believing that, you know, you can just keep this train rolling. Like teams have to be a lot more, you know, fiscally responsible. In oh, yeah. it. So that's why Jake brought up Marcus Morris. Um, but is that a viable strategy, though, do you think? Do you or do you think they should punt on this season, get Joel Embiid healthy for the long term, for the remainder of his prime, or should they be trying to go for it this year? I don't know what they necessarily should do until like I it does sound like BS spin, but like until we really know what his recovery period is gonna be, like I, I do understand that. Cause like the other but like to your, your point, they have been saying all along, and this it's it's an objective fact, the Sixers are gonna be one of the few teams that have legitimate contending aspirations when Embiid was healthy this year, that's gonna actually have major cap space this summer. And I believe I've been told that all of the major parties involved from Embiid to Daryl Morey to ownership to Nick Nurse, like that building seems to be in lockstep with that idea of like, we got a good thing going this year, but if nothing's really out there, let's save our powder and let's do something really, really big this summer. Now, how big can that be when Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are all but expected to be back in LA with James Harden and Pascal Siakam is off the board now, sure to be re-signed in Indiana. OG Ananobi to New York, like the, the free agent class isn't exactly shaping up to be full of game changers either, but that cap space can be used in multiple ways. They could do some sign-in trades or just trade for someone who's on a roster elsewhere right now. You know, all, all these players that are being considered off the table, un- unavailable right now, a lot can change when you don't make the play-in or you fall short in the first round and what have you. So I kind of do see the benefit and the just practicality of – holding your chips now and making a move this summer. However, something that I'm writing today at Yahoo Sports is that I think across the league, and it's I know across the league, everyone's going to have more draft picks and more stuff to play with this summer. So it will be a crowd, a more crowded market in terms of buyers that actually have stuff to shop with. Like right now, Milwaukee and Denver and a bunch of these teams that are trying to get better that are true contenders that are like – one move away, have like a little thing. Like they don't have a first round pick to trade. And right, the second right. the draft comes around, you get two, sometimes three additional picks to play with. So maybe the advantage that Philly has isn't so, so big, but the cap room is going to be definitely a, a tool in their toolkit that other teams in that stratosphere don't necessarily have. Yeah, they're in, like you said, they're in a completely like an interesting spot and it takes a really sober view. You have to be optimistic and you have to be sober at the same time about where you sit right now and the possibilities and the likelihood of what you are trying to get this summer and how, you know, how attractive you're going to look when everybody else is going to have a similar sort of advantage. Speaking of a team with no advantage, (laughs) the Chicago Bulls, right? Zach Levine has had a foot surgery. He's going to be out four to six months. His name has been in the rumor mill pretty much for the past year and a half. And it seems like the Bulls gave him a max contract, but they really didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And now it seems like the Bulls are trying to get out of the Zach Levine business. But because he's now having a surgery on his foot, side note, I don't know why we trust the Chicago Bulls medical staff, (laughs) considering (laughs) considering some of their movies. If If you don't know them, go look them up. But rumors were, and I don't know how strong they were for you, I'd heard both sides, that 
there was considerable interest between the Bulls and the Pistons in getting a deal done and maybe that the output wasn't going to be as drastic as the Bulls would probably expect for someone of Zach Levine's caliber, probably because of the remaining time on his contract. Did you get the feeling that there was any deal that was going to be consummated before Levine and the Bulls and Clutch decided to end his season and send him under the knife? I don't have like a scale of one to 10 or like a football field exact barometer of like they were on the five yard line. But I do think right, they're, right. They, I do think the deal got past the 50 yard line. Like I do think there was legitimate interest on both sides. I've heard several iterations of talks of like players the, the Pistons weren't willing to put in, players they were, players that Chicago was going after. So it does seem like there was actual real talks that were being had but yeah to really put a handicap on how close it was or what the likelihood it was going to be happening before thursday i i I didn't have enough information to really pin that down but also because i didn't necessarily think it was something that detroit was like super gung-ho about that's always kind Mm -hmm. of been the the sense i've gotten about him for them and i think as evidenced by the fact that detroit has kind of been, and you, you probably know better than me, they, they've kind of been more like, eh, we'll see what happens, right? As opposed to like a team that's going out there with direct initiatives, trying to add talent, trying to sell. Like the, the Pistons kind of seem to be playing the middle. They're like a, they're like a, a last mem- remaining member of a reality show house, and they're, they have to pick a side. There's two alliances, the buyers and the sellers. It seems like they've been playing both all along. Like I saw, I, I believe it was James Edwards' latest article came out today before we started reporting that, oh, the Pistons are still leaning towards keeping Bojan Bogdanovic and Alec Burks, which they've been saying, you know, all along. So I, 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 and the last time I talked to someone with the Pistons, he said to me something to the effect of like, look, we're the worst team in the league. We have to be exploring all options. That'd be ridiculous for us not to. So I don't know how serious this would have actually been as opposed to also, it's not like the Bulls had a ton of options out there. And the fact that they seem to have one actual fish on the line, it might have even been more of Chicago trying to reel that fish in as opposed to both sides trying to get something done. That's kind of my understanding. Well, I, I was one. I was always wondering if they were going to get some type of deal done with the Bulls have to put first round draft picks in it. And in this iteration of their front office, they have sent out a lot of first round draft picks. They oh, sent yeah. out they sent out a first round draft picks for Nikola Vucevic. Did they send out draft picks for Lonzo Ball in the in exchange? Or was I just don't remember, but I definitely know off top of mind they sent out a first and two seconds in the three in the sign and trade that brought Demar from San Antonio. So yeah, they they send them out, and now they've reached sort of this. I won't say inflection point, but they're 23 and 27 after 50 games. Last year's record, Jake, after 50 games, 23 and 27. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of what we've heard, and I think what happens with a player like Zach is you look at the number, and not the number as in his production, but you look at his contract, and you forget that there's a player behind that. And you're saying, okay, if it didn't, didn't work with him in Chicago, then somehow the player is devalued. No. Yeah, I think, Jake, that this is a guy that in the right situation, if he's your third option on, you know, attacking closeouts and he can carry an offense for a period of time, like we've seen him have 50 point games like he he can go on heaters. Like, I think that's fine. And in today's 
future economic climate of the NBA, where we just saw the salary cap numbers for next season, the cap and tax numbers, they they weren't as high as people expected, but it was maybe a million dollars like less than what the projections were. But you're going to see more 40, 50 million dollar contracts like that's going to look like the norm in the in the future. And then so Zach's contract will look less onerous because he's after this year, he's got two and a player option, which he surely will take and as he should take. So there's that. I just think sometimes we get so wrapped up in how much money a player is making, which you have to in a salary cap and tax world. But you actually have to ask yourself the question like, hey, is this player, can this player do something for us? If you're the Bulls and you have to give up draft picks to get rid of Zach Levine, to me that says more about the organization than it does the player. That's just me. Now, I would agree. I would agree. And like the Bulls, they were shopping him around the league. Like they called Atlanta about DeJounte Murray doing a swap there. They called Houston for something, I believe, around Jalen Green. And don't think the Rockets really wanted to upgrade Jalen Green with the mind of getting someone who is, in theory, a $50 million version of Jalen Green right now. So it's just, it's difficult. That combination of the salary, the injury history, and the fact that he has never been proven capable of driving winning as a primary option of an offense or a defense, I think it's going to be very difficult for the Bulls to move him with all that, like ever on the length of this contract, considering the fact that he's undergoing another season, or not another, but I mean, yeah, his ACL injury was a season ending surgery back way, way back when. Like he had knee stuff, but when he was an all star, that he came back to play in the all star game. And then, you know, there was long term injuries there. So I just honestly, like, we're recording this February 5th, 2024. If Zach Levine is still on Chicago February 5th, 2027, like, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, the Sixers were never able to move Tobias Harris. The Hornets were never able to move Gordon Hayward. Maybe they will upcoming. But this is the type of deal and the type of player and the type of injury history that I am genuinely concerned, for lack of a better word, that Chicago will honestly ever be able to find a trade for him unless they are, to your point, attaching draft capital to help him get out the door. Or a Patrick Williams or a Kobe White or something to that right, degree. Right. Well, the one thing I will say, because we're going to move on to Phoenix, the ACL one, I think, was the biggest question mark for me. And granted, he was a much younger player when he suffered the ACL. But to me, the fact that he came back from that and then and it, and went on an upward trajectory, I have less, I have fewer concerns about this surgery than I would have had seven or eight years ago. Now, granted, there's more miles on his body and everything else and a couple of more procedures like like the cleanups and everything else. You know, and, and sooner or later, it's going to take its toll. I don't know if it's going to take its toll throughout the life of this contract. I don't think he's going to turn into Blake Griffin. You know what I mean? I don't think he's going to turn into Blake Griffin on a Supermax deal where, boom, he gives his leg for a franchise and then he's done after that. Like, I don't see that happening. I don't think the bill is going to come on Zach Levine's body this partic- this soon in particular. But yeah. It, it we just, got actual just, basketball to talk about. Yeah, What's yeah, that? Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's just the prospect of another team, like, accepting that risk. Yeah. That's all. It's definitely a risk. It's definitely a risk. And that's why the Bulls, considering the things that they've said privately, you have to, you may have to attach draft capital because you've poisoned the water on your own player. Yeah. Funny how that happens. Now, <laughs> it happens to actual lot. basketball, 
Because yeah. there's two hot teams in the NBA. There's two really hot teams in the Western Conference. One we're going to talk about today. The Phoenix Suns, 7-3 and three in their last 10. The other one is the L.A. Clippers, who came within a whisker of having Teron Lou coach the Western Conference in the All-Star game. But Phoenix is 7-3 and three in their last 10. They're 6th in the West. We're finally able to see Durant, Booker, Beal play together. Beal dropped a 40-piece on his former team in Washington on Sunday. Like, they gave him they gave him that space to do that. And it shows, Jake, that at any moment, you have three nuclear weapons that can go off offensively. How much is that going to be a value in the playoffs? I'm not sure. But they've risen to being out of the play-in, at least for this moment. Is this sustainable? Do you believe in it? Or do you believe, Jake, that from whatever intel that you have, that they're looking to shore up some of those looser ends around Booker, Beal, and Durant? They're definitely looking to shore up the looser ends, that's for sure. I think to the first part of your question, I saw Phoenix come here to Brooklyn on Wednesday, and then Mm -hmm. both the Suns and myself, not together, flew to Atlanta, and I was there for their game on Friday at State Farm Arena. And just from a couple nights and some pregame and postgame conversations. I said hello to your guy, Kevin Durant, postgame. We had a nice chat. I think, and we're seeing it at the end of second quarters. We're seeing it in, in crunch time. The Suns really only have six guys, three behind the Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker trio in Yusuf Nurkic, Grayson Allen, and Eric Gordon. They really only have six guys. No disrespect to everyone else on that roster, but that's the that's the group that I think the front office and the coaching staff are both aligned that they believe they can go to war with come the playoffs. With that being said, from the get-go of Phoenix acquiring Bradley Beal, the talk was, oh, well, this team could really benefit to having a backup point guard, and TJ McConnell was on the radar. The idea was always, well, when Bradley Beal's healthy, He can essentially be the de facto point guard when all three are on the lineup together. And then all three of KD, Brad, and Book can vacillate back and forth between having those on-ball reps, excuse me. We saw in the Denver series last year where Chris Paul gets hurt for a couple games and the Suns took a couple games, two in a row off off the reigning champs. Denver, now that they're reigning, they were the upcoming champs at that point in time. So I don't think the cause for concern so much in Phoenix is is guard play. To me, what I've been told from various people is that they're looking for like a big wing who could really help them fortify those smaller units where Kevin Durant is doing everything he can as a small ball five in those mm-hmm. lineups. He's go back and watch that Kings game where they overcame a 16-point deficit, whatever it was. He was guarding Sabonis. He was switching out onto Malik Bunk, switching out onto Aaron Fox. He was doing it in Atlanta with going back and forth between Onyeka and Jalen Johnson and then switching onto Trey and switching onto DeJounte. Like they, they would love to have another beefy wing. And the guy that's clearly at the top of their list is Miles Bridges. I'm not so certain that he's going to be able to to be acquired by them, being that the Suns only have two second-round picks. I mean, they have four second-round picks to trade, but it seems like they're really only putting out two second-round picks right now to get something done. So we'll see if there's ever real you know, closing of the gap to be done there between Phoenix and Charlotte. But to wrap this up, yeah, I, I think they're clearly looking, and they're clearly looking for players who fit that type of mold. You know, I've been told they like Jay Sean Tate out of Houston. I've been told they like Royce O'Neal out of Brooklyn, like those types of 
three, four hybrid guys who definitely bring shooting. I mean, Jason Rontae's not the same shooter as those other guys, but shooting will be important, and the, the, the defensive versatility will be important as well. It's funny because Miles Bridges was like the first name <laughs> on, on the rundown as far as guys that we were going to talk about as far as who's intriguing coming into the deadline. And he's one of those names for me. I've heard Utah. I heard, I've heard Utah's in on him. Mm-hmm. I've heard Detroit to different degrees is in on Miles Bridges. Some people say they love him. I say, what's love got to do with it? There are other teams that are involved, and Miles Bridges is in this weird spot. I won't say weird spot, but he's in a a little bit of a different spot because he has a no trade clause. You can say weird because of the. hmm? Yeah, you can say weird. It's weird. Yeah, it's 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 weird. So Miles Bridges has a no trade clause. He's a free agent after this season, and he has the no trade clause pretty much as a byproduct of sitting out last year signing a one-year deal this year after, you know, going through the not being a restricted free agent, unrestricted free agent, which was which happened because domestic violence. And you have to factor all of these things in. Like, as far gone as the situation was, it was still really ugly. Okay? You can, you can see the pictures. You can see all of those things. So when you're a team that is thinking about, no matter who it is, Phoenix, Utah, Detroit, whomever, you have to factor in the calculus of not only A, can we bring this guy in and then pay him this offseason because he's going to want to get paid. You know, as a player, you can understand that. But you as an organization have to make the decision of what is this going to look like for us? We just can't make these decisions, basketball decisions in a vacuum and he's a talented player, hops out of this world, everything else. He's 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 a player for the future of the NBA. Multifaceted wing, can put it on the floor, can play above the rim, all that stuff. But you also have to factor in what this looks like organizationally. And if you feel like you can bring a guy like that in and what that means, whether that's a second chance or whatever it is, you have to factor all those things in. And like I said, y'all, no trade clause. So, yeah. like... This is so weird. And yeah. Rich Paul, who is his agent, is going to control the process. Oh, Charlotte, yeah. from what I've heard, Jake, has asked some teams for, we want your best young player and the first round pick. Who can afford to give that up? Not many. And like, <laughs> there aren't many first round picks that are coming anytime soon that are actually available in the marketplace right now. You know, Bobby Marks at ESPN put out that tweet saying 11 teams control 75% of the of like first-round draft capital for the next several years, not just this season alone. So that's kind of created like a lopsided market where the buyers aren't necessarily fully equipped, you know, like Phoenix, like Milwaukee, like the Lakers. They're not exactly equipped with the asking prices or to meet the asking prices that these sellers want. So for Bridges, I do think there's a chance that I think there's a strong chance he stays in Charlotte because of that. You look forward to this summer. They're going to have opportunities to just attach him or or send him out the door via sign and trade. They could re-sign him themselves to a long-term deal that will 
definitely create a, a longer list of teams that are interested in acquiring him this time next year because not only the veto rights that that comes from his qualifying offer that you were talking about, if he were to get traded, he would lose his bird rights, which just gets mm-hmm. a little CBA wonky. But for our, our listeners who aren't familiar with that terminology, that means a team like Phoenix would not be able to resign him by going or they wouldn't be able to resign him to a number limited to a certain like it's like 120 percent something like that degree. Yeah. yeah. So which would be a pretty decent number for the average NBA player. But for someone like Miles Bridges, who before all of his off court incidents was without a doubt going to be extended a five year, $180 million offer from someone in the marketplace in the 2022 offseason landscape. So that's the ultimate ballpark you have to consider what Miles Bridges is going to be looking to kind of reclaim for himself, especially, you know, Rich Paul always likes to look after top dollar. So for Phoenix, you know, you talk about teams wanting to consider the fact that there's a lot of off-court baggage, without a doubt, that comes with acquiring him. They don't seem to care about that, and they don't seem to care about not being able to potentially resign him either. With other teams, I do think that they will there will be plenty of hesitancy to approach him or approach Charlotte about acquiring him for both of those aspects, for the murky off-court stuff and the murky salary cap stuff. So, yeah, he's not... By any stretch, Miles Bridges is not like guaranteed. He is not someone that I'm that I'm going through my calls this week thinking this guy is definitely going to be traded. Yeah, it's a it's it's a weird thing all the way around. Like I said, weird, and you said yes, that this is weird. So yes, weird all the way around. They could move on from Gordon Hayward, Charlotte. And you have to also have to factor in Mitch Kupchak, old school executive. New owners. This is not Michael Jordan's Charlotte Hornets anymore. So you got new owners that are coming in and they always have to learn their way through the league. They always have to figure out about player values. And it's not just fantasy basketball. It's not just working the trade machine. And you're dealing with public relations on top of that. So it's a big soup here. And on top of that, once again, Rich Paul is going to steer the process from the beginning to end, he can steer who comes in, who talks, what players are included in the deal. He can essentially control this thing from beginning to end. And I'm not saying that, you know, with hyperbole. I am literally saying that this agent can control this process. Now, another Rich Paul client, DeJounte Murray, right? Are you getting the feeling, Jake, that DeJounte won't be moved, that Atlanta will hold on to him? at least until this offseason, like you said, when more teams will have more picks to play with and that Atlanta's asking price is too high or that there just isn't the market for DeJounte Murray at this point. That is where I'm starting to lean. And look, the Hawks have been telling teams from the get-go, we don't have to trade him, which is something that I thought might have been spin or just you know trying to drum up more offers. But then you kind of tilt your head to the side and you remember... They put John Collins in the trade block for two straight years and didn't end up moving him, right? So Mm -hmm. I think the fact that there hasn't exactly been a surplus of teams coming out of the woodwork and flirting with the actual asking price Atlanta wants, plus the fact that they've won four straight games. You know, when I was there over the weekend, he had clutch buckets on KD to help like put away uh, Phoenix. He had a 
game tying jumper at the end of the fourth quarter against Golden State while Steph's going off for 60. He matched him bucket for bucket down the stretch and then scored seven of the team's 11 0 run to open overtime and beat Golden State. So, I mean, then Mark Stein reported that Quinn Snyder doesn't want to necessarily move on from DeJounte Murray, which I have not been able to confirm, but I'm not saying, I'm just saying that's a detail that is out there in the ether. So, I do think it's very possible Atlanta holds on to him. They're just for any type of all-star player, and he's not on a max max deal, but he does make $30 million. It is going to be easier to move any player of that magnitude with that type of draft capital in the offseason. That's just across the board. Whether that would be DeJounte, whether that, whether that could be Trey Young come this summer, whether that's, you know, Donovan Mitchell in Cleveland, like all these teams are looking at. Like any all-star caliber player who makes north of you know 25 million a, a deal that's most likely going to you're going to most teams are going to have to compile multiple contracts to get to a like more draft picks like we've been talking about and then b teams can carry up to 20 players in the offseason as well so that just adds for greater mixing and matching salary purpose purposes roster spot purposes all that type of stuff so un- unless a team steps up here and i saw what I said on Steiny's radio show got aggregated incorrectly. The only two offers that I have heard of for Atlanta for DeJounte Murray have been from the Lakers and the Jazz. That does not mean there aren't others. I have just only heard those two. But I've been looking for others and I have that doesn't mean that I always say this. Like that doesn't mean there aren't things that are happening that I haven't heard because that is a hundred percent the case. There is way more happening than what we hear. But if there was something that was more significant to add to the like a, like a third team to add to the pact, I think we would have probably gotten a sense of it right now, just because Atlanta probably would have stood to benefit from that getting out there to try to drum right. up more interest as well. You know the Detroit stuff that I've written about. Don't think that got very far. I do wonder what would have happened if the Heat weren't so quick to get Terry Rogier. There were a lot of players on the board that the Heat were looking at from DeJounte to Bruce Brown. You know, DeMar DeRozan was a name that I had heard about for Miami as a possible other ball handler type guy, but that's off the board now too. So yeah, to bring this to a close, I am definitely right now, again, everything can change because we're recording this Monday morning, but right now I'm thinking that it is more likely than not that DeJounte Murray stays in Atlanta past Thursday deadline. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's a weird one because <laughs> you, just because, Jake, we've heard DeJounte Murray's name almost from the moment that he got there. You almost, you heard about the Spurs for a period trying to, you know, they they gave up picks. Though Atlanta gave up yeah. picks and now they're trying to get those picks back. Like you're chasing something. At, Atlanta's chasing to get their picks back that they gave up to get them, which I think is a weird thing. Like those are two separate transactions. Even if you sent DeJounte back to San Antonio, you're not going to get the picks that you gave up for him. It's not because the players devalued. It's just that yesterday's price is not today's price. Speaking of that, Mikael Bridges, the Brooklyn Nets, according to uh, our buddy Matt Moore from the Action Network, he 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 says that the Nets have received offers up to five first round picks mm-hmm. for Mikael Bridges, who's a nice player, right? Who's what would you say he's an underqualified first option? 
I would say I don't look at him as being if he's your best player, he's your number one option. I don't know how good you are. I think well, they're not very good right now. Right. So and, and of course, and the New Orleans Pelicans have been known to make a quote unquote serious offer for him. I don't know where we're supposed to go with Mikael Bridges. I don't see anybody paying the freight on those first round draft picks. Once again, and I think we need to drive this home, Jake, is that with the top end of salaries growing, having cost control on first round draft picks where players will routinely overperform their deal if you made the right pick. Think of it in the way you think of NFL teams. That's the way you should probably start thinking of NBA teams and draft picks. There was a period of time where a team would get rid of a draft pick as quick as possible. Didn't care, didn't need it. Give me the player that's the, the certain production. Now it's going to be the other way around. Well, they were really valuable a few years ago, and then they turned out not to be. But now in this new CBA, luxury tax world, second apron wor- world, First round draft picks are going to be like gold because they don't take up that big of a percentage of your salary cap as as the cap continues to rise. Rookie contracts will rise with it, but it won't rise at the level where it's going to take up such a huge chunk. So if you're not offering, you're not getting five first round draft picks for Mikael Bridges. But if you're the Brooklyn Nets, what's realistic for them? Yeah, I haven't heard New Orleans made that offer, but I can I can say that I've been told the Nets have gotten offers of five picks for him, which to me, I'm just looking at this objectively. That's a pretty damn high, you know, evaluation. Five unpro- are we talking about five unprotected picks or f- I don't no, I don't no know conditions? that. I don't know that. Okay, but regardless, I mean that's a ton of capital to the point where you do start to wonder man should Brooklyn have thought about that and then the Houston stuff which I definitely have confirmed that they approached Brooklyn about doing some type of combination of multiple picks plus Jalen Green where the line of demarcation went between no Jalen Green and picks versus Jalen Green how many picks would have you know, would he have counted for type of thing? I don't know that. I don't because I don't think the talks got very far because to the reporting that's been out there that what we've said as well. Um, I, I wrote this in my Friday notebook, like the Nets do not want to move him. They are telling every single team. They've been telling every single team since the moment they acquired him back from the Kevin Durant trade. They were getting offers of four and five picks dating back to last February. Wasn't it wasn't Memphis a team that offered a, a, a- a lot of first-round picks for him? I, I believe so. And I think a lot of the offers that are potentially out there for him might be a little outdated because maybe we can use this as a as a shift into just Brooklyn in general, not just him. Like The Nets are kind of straddling the line of, of buyer and seller just like Utah is. I think they're a little bit different than Detroit just being that they have – they're not the worst team in the league, but they definitely – have, I think, more pieces in place than the Pistons, I'd say. Nick Claxton has proven to be a a playoff caliber starting center, but he's up for a contract extension or or a new contract this summer. And the early word is that he wants, you know, north of $25 a year, which is a a pretty penny to pay. And you've got Spencer Dinwiddie expiring. You've got Dorian Finney-Smith. You've got Royce O'Neal expiring. I think the Nets... 
the Nets were starting to be described to me by rival teams as similar to how the Raptors were conducting their business for the last 18 months with Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet, where they're just like throwing out these asking prices that teams don't necessarily think they're going to get. You know, the Doran Finney-Smith, two first-round picks, that has been their price that the Nets have said they've gotten. I believe that to be old. I believe... I believe one of the teams, to your point, was Memphis back before they went and sent picks for Marcus Smart. And I think one of the teams was Indiana back in the draft last year when the Pacers had had three first-round picks in the 2023 draft and were trying to figure out ways to not use all of them. So I don't necessarily think that the Nets are going to be able to get these exorbitant asking prices that they're listing for all these guys. And maybe that might be more wishful thinking. We'll see come Thursday if the Nets were right to be holding the line so firm or so high, or if they'll be will, they'll be more willing to come down. Because like I think, for example, if Phoenix can't get Miles Bridges, Royce O'Neal for two seconds, to me, I think both sides of Phoenix and Brooklyn would have to look at that and think, that's a good deal. Because I don't think any team right now is trading a first-round pick for a veteran that is on an expiring deal. Yeah, it doesn't seem financially responsible. Even just to close that point out, or not even going to close the point out, just going to move on to the Bucks and Golden State because I feel like those are champions removed who are trying to get back and have different roads possibly to get there. Golden State is under 500. They're out of the plan. I could not imagine a world where a healthy and effective Stephen Curry cannot get his team even to the play-in. Like they're outside of it right now. He had a 60 ball in in Atlanta and it did nothing, right? Yeah, I mean, they got hurt. They got hurt by um, Jonathan Kaminga fouling out on very curious. I mean, I Steve Kerr was not thrilled post game. I could tell you that with the officiating. So, but that being said, like it is startling in person to see Steph still do Steph things, mm-hmm. and like I mean, holy shit, was it crazy to watch grown men f- try to fling themselves over railings to try to get an autograph from Steph Curry. Like, that dude still has that type of magnetism around him. He still has it on the floor as well. But there's just, like, nowhere near the same punch behind him as there used to be. Clay Thompson, when he's not hitting, he is not hitting, man. And they're looking at closing lineups now where he's not even on the floor. They put mm-hmm. Brandon Pradzinski in that in that spot. They've, they've shifted Kevon Looney out of the equation where their best five right now seems to be Steph, Pods, Kaminga, Wiggins, Draymond Green. They've had very good success with that three kind of bigger wing lineup with with those three guys in front. And Pods adds a lot more ball handling creativity. He's a threat on the glass. But like that is not the the vaunted death lineup of years past. It's really not. Kaminga's had an no. awesome awesome uh, resurgence here or surgeons should we say surgeons not resurgence surgeons and uh it's been really fun to watch i am hoping to talk to him tonight post game in brooklyn but he hasn't done it in the playoffs either so it's just it is start to the playoffs jay that's what i'm saying like it is startling to see steph be arguably better than ever before and then he looked to his left and he looked to his right and there's not uh, uh, such an an intimidating artillery behind him these days. Yeah. Do you see them doing anything maybe with with Wiggins? They've definitely been exploring options there. But like like Sacramento with Harrison Barnes 
and with Dallas looking to potentially do stuff with Tim Hardaway Jr. or Grant Williams, like there's just not a ton of players out there on the board right now that would mark a real upgrade over him. Like Pascal Siakam's gone. OG Ananobi's gone. I can't really think of someone that makes a perfect sense for Golden State to be saying, oh, we're using Wiggins to upgrade into this guy. Could there be something smaller for them? I definitely think so. They're they're looking around. I think there are going to be I think there's going to be a trade in Golden State. It's still early this week. There's some co- more calls I want to make to shore up some of my information, but the sense I've gotten is that they are trying to do something because they know Steph is Steph at 35 now, right? I think he was the only he'll be, the second he'll be player in March. Yeah, I think he was the only player besides Kobe to score 60 plus points at 35 and when you think about that that was Kobe's last game like it's really amazing we we give all this attention to LeBron rightfully so for what he's doing at 39 what Steph's doing at 35 what Katie's doing at 34 I think just as aggressive as Phoenix is just as aggressive as the Lakers are the Warriors are are, are operating with the same rushed clock of we got to get this guy some help look you you don't owe. Like, I, I won't say that. That's a bit, yeah. let's say, strong. No one is owed or, des- or deserved anything in this world. We need to get rid of that language, and especially in NBA parlance. Right. But uh, but there is something that says you probably owe it to yourselves to exhaust the possibilities as an organization. I agree And if you if you don't view this season as gettable. Now, granted, with Minnesota and OKC at the top of the Western Conference, you could look at them and say they're good teams, but they're not intimidating to me. Like a level of championship experience. I'd be more, shall we say, I'd be more optimistic about playing against Minnesota than I would be optimistic about playing Oklahoma City because you could be the first skin on Oklahoma City's wall. You know (laughs) what I mean? You could wind up being the team that Oklahoma City says we've got our first playoff win against this veteran team and we and we've catapulted ourselves to real contention. You don't want to be you don't want to be on that summer jam st- screen. You know what I mean? You don't you don't want to be that guy. But you don't want to be the the bad boy pistons to Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls. No, no, that's not that's that's a terrible analogy. <laughs> that's a terrible analogy. I'm just that's coming a, for your uh clearly, clearly you Detroit, y'all hear him. Y'all hear him talking? That I is love Jake. Detroit. Hey, I'll say this. I'll say this. I, Without a doubt, for whatever reason, it's come up left and right the last couple of weeks for me. Everyone loves the Detroit media room spread. People are praising oh, Little Caesars Arena uh, media food spread. People are saying it's, without a doubt, the top in the league. So shout out Little Caesars Arena. Best food, absolutely best food in the league. And trust me, we do talk about those things. If they ever, you know... <laughs> If they ever got their stuff together and had like a decent, you know, playoff, yeah, you know, run, playoff, playoff atmosphere in Detroit wouldn't be bad. A, a but TM they are so far push. away from that. When, yeah. and I was we, rooting for the Lions, man. I want. I got Jared Goff on the Dynasty team. I've got Dave Montgomery on the Dynasty team. Shout out Eli Perlstein, Perlstein of the Nets PR department. We're, who, we're not. We're not Lions fans here on ball. I on, know. On. I know. That, I know. But I'm bringing it up. We're not. I am not. <laughs> Happy for all of those people. But, you know, Jake, you know what I'll do, Jake? I will send you a video. I will send you the video of what I sent to my Lions friends okay. after they lost to San Francisco. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll show you that. Now, another Detroit native, John Horst. 
is mm-hmm. the GM of the Milwaukee Bucks. They already made a big trade deadline move. They fired the coach. Oh, yeah. And they brought in Doc Rivers. They're one and three, but Doc Rivers is still going to coach the Eastern Conference All-Stars in the All-Star game, just to show no, you how he's not. Game. He's abstaining. He is, he is removing himself. He's going on vacation. So who's and going to do it? I just thought he was turning know. down the bonus. I don't know. And uh, uh, Rex Kalamian and Dave Yeager, the new assistants that Doc brought in, I was told yesterday they're not going to be doing it either. So you can't bring, you can't have Griff go and coach the Eastern Conference All Stars. It might be interim head coach God Joe Prunty. I, I don't know who it's going to be, but it's not going to be Doc apparently. Okay, this is this is this is getting ridiculous. It's but, ridiculous. But to the point, the Bucks are one and three with Doc. Giannis still feels reasonably confident. There's others who do not. Not necessarily others with Milwaukee, but there's others around the league that do not feel like they have the requisite personnel to get this together. John Horse usually does something at the trade deadline. He's just active. He's he's definitely like the dude on Madden in 2K that's like more trades, more. <laughs> they need perimeter defense help. That's clearly the case. For sure. Do you see anything? Is there a move out there? They, I don't even think they have second round picks to really give up. But they have I, they have one number thirty. It's it's right now it's slated to be the number thirty five pick in this draft okay. from Portland, which okay. We saw the Pistons number thirty one pick. Well, it's almost guaranteed to be number thirty one that New York sent to Toronto with OG Ananobi and Emmanuel quickly. The Bucks are hoping that that pick will function in theory as a late first as well, being that there are some tax implications and whatnot that some people would think it's more valuable than a pick 25 through 30. But they only really have campaign and Pat Connaughton's salary to put together to go get someone. If they want to go get a real big fish like Bruce Brown or DeJounte Murray, if you want to talk about perimeter defense, they're going to have to put Bobby Portis' salary in that deal and I don't know what their willingness is going to be to actually part with him. So will they look more at players in like the eight, nine million dollar range? Like Delon Wright is a name that came up for me over the weekend. Stuff like that, I think. But they're looking all over the board at perimeter defense. If there's a perimeter defensive minded player that makes between eight and twelve million dollars that is considered to be available for the taking, I can guarantee Milwaukee's throwing it up on the whiteboard. And they've been evaluating what that price point will be compared to other options. They are being described to me as like aggressively shopping to find that last piece who can be like a real proven perimeter defender for them. Because right now they only have Malik Beasley as their best option to go flank Tyrese Halliburton. And we know what Dame's limitations are on that side of the floor. We know that Chris Middleton is not the player that he once was. The Bucs know that too. It is going to be an interesting deadline for the Bucs. And the Eastern Conference, as it is better. Make no mistake, the Eastern Conference is better. But I feel like there are fatal flaws for each of the so-called contenders, even Boston. Boston has qualities that I don't know that I'm willing to buy. Milwaukee has qualities that would scare the hell out of me. The New York Knicks, I just haven't seen it. Like, I haven't seen the New York Knicks in my lifetime. Like, that is the only reason that you would say that the Knicks could not make a legit run beyond the Eastern Conference Finals. Do I think they can get to the Conference Finals? Yes. Can I see it go beyond? And I'm not sure. But 
that w- I think that should be able to drive a lot more conversation just because teams know that they have fatal flaws. But now, Jake, before we get out of here, it's got like six teams that I want to throw at you. <laughs> and you could just tell me which of these six teams you just want to go in and just empty out your notebook, right? Mm-hmm. You got Orlando, Miami, OKC, Sacramento, the Lakers, ding, 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 Dallas, <laughs> and the aforementioned Knicks. What direction do you want to go? We could hit them all quickly, honestly, if you want. Okay, like, go like, ahead, go ahead. I'll say Orlando, a lot of stuff, a lot of smoke about them wanting to go after Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry and veteran point guards. I, From my knowledge, that that's false information. I don't think Charlotte and Orlando have any, had, had any conversation on Kyle Lowry. Could, they, could Orlando be a potential player once he gets bought out? Possibly, but... I have no no knowledge to suggest that the Magic are trying to go trade for thirty million dollar thirty seven to thirty nine year old point guard who are small compared to every single player on their roster is a rangy defensive minded guy. So that's one thing for Orlando. I mean, the Knicks I do think are going to do something. They've got Evan Fournier salary. To me, Bruce Brown seems like the guy that they want the most of like real impact players. Evan yeah. Fournier was at 18 million, 18 million for yeah. Fournier in a team option for next year. So in theory, even though they're not playing him and he is not Tibbs' type of guy, if they yeah. don't trade him, Jake, they could pick up the team option and have that as a tradable asset over the summer. But go ahead. I, just, I didn't want to cut you no, off. I just want to add that footnote. You're good. Or they could rework his salary. They could say, hey, Bruce, what if we decline this option? This is all legal come the summer. What if we decline this option? And we give you a four-year, $52 million deal instead, which would all of a sudden, Bruce Brown goes from being in the mid-level type range where the Lakers clearly wanted him at last year to signing for 22 or whatever the actual number is for this year. And then he gets $75 million guaranteed in back-to-back summers instead of going for the non-tax. That's, that'd be a very attractive option, I think, for Bruce Brown and his representation if any team that traded for him decided to do that instead of being scared away by the $24 million team option for next year. So that's just something I would be considering if I was pursuing him. I think Dallas is definitely looking at power forwards. And I've been told Dorian Finney-Smith, no longer someone they're considering there. I've been told Miles Bridges, no longer someone they're considering there. But Andrew Wiggins, PJ Washington, those are two names I'm confident in. I think they would like Jeremy Grant from Portland and they would be interested in Kyle Kuzma from Dallas. But at this point, Portland and the Wizards are not suggesting that they are really willing to part with either of those guys. So aside from that, quick dump of any anything left on the table that you wanted to get into? Uh, let me see if there's anything else. Uh, how about get, just give me, do you have anything on the Lakers? Because LeBron did the sands in an hourglass thing. <laughs> and, you know, that's like white smoke coming from church and all of that <laughs> type of stuff. So is any anything Laker-wise? The Lakers are absolutely in the market. And I've now heard, as we wrote on Friday, Gabe Vincent and his three-year deal is now being part and included in part of what they're trying to achieve. I don't have... I mean, they're definitely still involved in Bruce Brown. I don't have a ton of confidence that the Lakers are going to be actually like putting D'Angelo Russell and stuff on the table for someone who doesn't have a long-term deal, but maybe they would like the uh, renegotiate opportunity that I talked about before. Cause I do keep hearing Bruce Brown for the Lakers. And right now, Bruce Brown, it's, it's tough. It's funny. Like you look at the sequence of these things, 
both things can be true that I think Bruce Brown is more realistic for both New York and LA compared to DeJounte Murray. But of course, neither both teams can't get him. So it's going to be fun to see how all these final negotiations end up coming up here with 96 hours left for the deadline. Is that is that what it is? If that that feels reasonable considering it is 11 o'clock and the trade deadline is 3 p.m. on Thursday. So a little under... Give or take 100. Give or take 100. There 127 hours. We're all going to be waiting here, sawing off our arms, seeing what happens around the NBA. And clearly, y'all, Jake is no mathematician. He is something else. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Jake Fisher. Jake, really appreciate you coming on and talking about all things trade deadline. Really appreciate you, man. Thank you, man. Always a good time talking with you. Jake will be back for a special episode, a trade deadline episode of No Cap Room on Thursday afternoon. So look out for that. Thanks to producer John and everybody who works hard behind the scenes on this podcast. Dan will be back for another episode of Divine Intervention tomorrow. And I'll be back on Wednesday for another episode of The Good Word. Until then, everybody be safe. 